We've praised Him with our voices. Let's praise Him with our hands. As Cassidy led us into worship, I was just thinking how awesome it is, and you guys can have a seat, but how awesome it is that she's 19. Are you still 19, or did you turn 20? She turned 20. Um, when, when, when was your birthday? March. Okay. So how awesome it is that she's 20 and loves Jesus with all of her heart, and she's inspiring a congregation. And all that to say, it doesn't matter if you're 8 years old, as Josiah was when he led a revival, or if you're 17, like Joseph or David, when they were following Christ with all of their hearts, or if you're 30, when Jesus started his public ministry, or if you're 75, like Abraham, when he was called and chosen, or if you're 80, like Moses, when he began his ministry, it doesn't matter how old you are, today is the day that you surrender your life to Christ and follow with all of your heart and create a legacy that gives people hope and passion for Christ and blaze a trail for people to walk behind you so that they can have freedom and peace, joy, and love. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're continuing our series on spiritual warfare. So we've talked about the first five pieces of armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Um, we've talked about the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And all of these are defensive pieces of armor. Today, we are talking about the sixth piece of armor and the one offensive weapon that we have in the spiritual battle. And that weapon is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of of the Spirit. So, can you guys imagine if I had a conversation this past week and somebody was like, Shane, I'm just so tired. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't get out of bed. I'm so weak. I'm so famished. In fact, I've been so weak and I've been so famished. I've been so tired. I felt like this not only all week, but the week before that and the week before that and the week before that. In fact, about the past five or ten years, I felt so weak. I can hardly move. I can hardly lace up my shoestrings of a morning. I can hardly go to work. I'm just so tired. I don't have any energy whatsoever. I mean, why did God make me like this? And I said, well, when's the last time you've eaten? They said, I ate Sunday about 11 a.m. I said, oh, okay. When was the last time you ate before that? Sunday about 11 a.m. Oh, okay. What about before that? Sunday. In fact, they said, I only eat every Sunday about 11 a.m. Well, sometimes once a month I might skip a Sunday or twice a month I might skip a Sunday. So sometimes, Shane, I only eat maybe once a month on Sunday at 11 a.m. Now, I wouldn't have to be a rocket science to help them figure out why they don't have energy, why they don't have any strength. It's because they have a very poor diet. They only eat once a week. Sometimes they only eat once a month. And so it is with the Word of God. So often in counseling sessions, people say, I just don't have any strength against the temptation that assails me. I'm so discouraged. I don't have any joy. I, 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 I don't have any momentum. Why did God make me like this? And I say, well, when's the last time you ate of the Word of God? And they say, well, at church on Sunday morning. Just once, once a week. Sometimes just once a month is the only time that they hear the Word of God. We have to be in the Bible, we have to be in Scripture every single day in order to have spiritual strength, spiritual stamina, peace, joy, love, divine momentum, strength to overcome temptation, strength to overcome discouragement. And the reason that some of you have no momentum in your spiritual life is because your spiritual intake is only once a week or once a month. We are to be in the Word of God every single day. Or can you imagine this conversation? If somebody said, Shane, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm so nauseated. I just feel like throwing up. I'm like, well, what did you eat? And they said, well, it was bad. It was, it was this meat that was like molded and decayed, and there were some maggots in it. And, and that's what I've been eating. And I would say, that's why you're sick. And in the same way, we don't eat of the Word of God every day. It's maybe just once a week, maybe just once a month. Some of you just a few times a year. But every single day you eat from rotten food of this world that contaminates and diminishes your faith. So today we are talking about partaking of the Word of God. 
and living by the sword of the Spirit, the one offensive weapon that we have. Our text is Ephesians chapter 6, but I would like to read to you Psalm chapter 19. Listen to what the Word will do in your life, but we've got to be in it again every single day. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We read in Psalm chapter 19 that the law of the Lord is perfect. Watch what it does. It revives your soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. It rejoices the hearts. Now, this isn't the place to discuss whether or not you should partake of medicine to assist you and help you with emotions and that sort of thing. But I will tell you this. If you only partake of the Word of God once a week or once a month... Or a few times a year. You can take all the medicine you want. You can go to counseling ten times a day. And this time next year. You will still be wrestling with depression. The precepts of the Lord rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This is why the word is so important. It is our lifeline. So much so that we read in verse 10, the scriptures are to be desired more than gold, much more than fine gold. It's sweeter than honey and drips of the honeycomb. By the scriptures we are warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. So, let's talk about this thing called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the sixth piece of armor. The sword, it's a Greek term called makara. Uh, So when you think of the sword of the Spirit, Paul, when he wrote this, didn't want us to have the impression of like Zorro. You know, he had the long sword and he had wield it out and, and he would fight his enemies from a distance. A makara is a short sword. It's about 18 inches long. And that's the, that's the idea that he wanted us to have in our mind. Uh, the, the makara, this particular sword, was used for, for close fighting, for hand-to-hand combat. It's the sword that the palace guards had when they came to carry Jesus away. It's the sword that Peter drew when he went for the guy's head. The guy ducked and he took off his ear. It's about 18 inches. It's for close contact. It's a thick sword. It can do incredible damage. With the long sword, you can stab somebody and they can still live. With this particular sword, if you are up close and you stab them, it's going to do so much internal damage. It's a precise sword. It's for hand-to-hand combat. So when the enemy, and we have an enemy, as Cassidy testified earlier, when the enemy comes against us, discouraging us and tempting us and and coercing us to quit and stop fighting the good fight. We are in close contact, and we are to wield this makara, this 18-inch sword, the sword of the Spirit, and we are to go on the offense. This is the one offensive weapon we have in all of the armor of God to fight in this thing called spiritual warfare. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the, of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. These are all taking your stand. It's defensive Postures, but the sword of the Spirit is an offensive weapon. And in order for us to make momentum in our spiritual development, in order for us to have momentum in our lives, in order for us to, uh, to experience the fruition of the promises of God in our life, in order for us to have fruitfulness in the ministries in which we are laboring, we have to learn to wield the sword of the Spirit. So let's read of the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians six seventeen, And take up the helmet of salvation. And we talked about that last week. And the sword of the Spirit, the makarai, this 18-inch sword. And this is, this is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. There are three words throughout the New Testament to describe the Word of God. The first word in Scripture to describe the Word of God is graphe. G-R-A-P-H-E. Graphe. 
from the Greek. And that's how we've, in the English, translated word. The graphe is the collective writing of God. It's the document itself. It's the physical Bible. I hold in my hand before you the graphe, the collective writings, the 66 books of Scripture, um, the poetic books, the prophetic books, the wisdom books, the gospels, the acts of the apostles, the epistles, the prophetic books, the book of Revelation, all 66 books by 40 different authors written on three different continents in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, are all comprised of the physical book itself in the Greek called the Graphe. Paul writes about it, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture, the word used there for scripture is Graphe. It is breathed. Just as what you're hearing right now in my voice, you're hearing my breath. My breath is coming out of my lungs and uh, pushed with my diaphragm and it passes by my vocal cords and it, it comes out of my mouth. And what you're really hearing is my breath. And all 66 books of the Bible, the scriptures, all scripture is the breath of God. Everything that God wants us to know about him, about the world, about our enemy, about this spiritual fight, about our lives, about our future, about the cross, about our past, about heaven, about glory, about him. Everything God wants us to know is contained in his breath, the graphe, the 66 books of the Bible. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that you and I may be complete Equipped for every good work. So when the Bible is on your coffee table, it's the graphe on your coffee table. When the Bible is on your dashboard, it's the graphe that's on your dashboard. But the mistake that we oftentimes make with the graphe is that we think that the graphe is like a rabbit's foot. Just having it around will, will make you blessed or keep you lucky. That's not the case at all. It's just simply describing what it is. Peter writes of the graphe in 2 Peter 1.19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. He's saying the graphe that might be collecting dust. You would do well to wipe the dust off of it. You would do well to pay attention to the graphe. Because it's a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. When you learn to dust off the graphe and dive into it, the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, that word scripture, again, it's the graphe, it's the 66 books of God's word comprised. The prophecy of scripture, the graphe, it does not come from someone's interpretation. I know that somebody is developing in spiritual maturity when they begin using the phrase, well, I think less and less and less. And they begin using the phrase, well, God says more and more and more. And when we use the word, well, I think, and well, I believe, and well, I've been taught, and well, my grandparent was a preacher, and well, he said, and who cares about what he said or what you and I think? The question is, what's in the graphe? When we dust it off and begin understanding what the graphe says, then the light rises in our hearts, and we have strength and joy and peace and boldness and authority. Because the graphe is not somebody's interpretation. It's not produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God or wrote from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how we have the book, the graphe. And when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, he is not talking about the graphe. That's not the word he uses. So there's another word used for the word, and that's the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. Whereas graphe are the collective writings of God, it's the document itself, it's the Bible. When you open it up and you hear it, that is the logos. The logos is the expression of the graphe. The Logos is the increasing understanding of the Graphe. The Logos, in fact, is the embodiment of the Graphe. Logos. In fact, there was a Christian bookstore here in Fort Worth called Logos Christian Bookstore. Great name for a Christian bookstore. 
So whereas graphe are the collective writings of God, the Bible itself, logos is opening up the graphe and understanding the graphe. Logos, in fact, is the embodiment of the graphe, the expression of the graphe. We read about that from the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word, the word used there for word is logos. The word logos of God, it's, watch this, it's living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it piercings, it pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit. And that is awesome. You have a soul and you have a spirit. Your soul is your soul and your spirit is your spirit. And your soul is not your spirit. Your spirit is not your soul. You have a soul and you have a spirit. They're two different things. Your soul is you. The spirit is God in you. Your soul is the totality of your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, your thought patterns, your habits. That is your soul. And the spirit is Christ in you. It's your new creation. And oftentimes the soul is so dominant in somebody's lives that they can't sense the leading of the spirit. But sometimes people's spirits are so strong that it dominates their soul and controls their life. The Logos divides the soul and the spirit. So that you can distinguish what is your will and you can distinguish what is God's will. What are your desires for your life? What is God's desires for your life? What pleases you? What pleases God? And as the Logos divides the soul and the spirit, you can discern God's will and your spirit strengthens and begins to influence your soul and control your life. For the word, the logos of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the beauty, this is the power, this is the, what the scripture says, the foolishness of preaching. You can stand here and hear the Logos being expressed as I open up the graphe, and you can say, oh, that's what that means. That's what God means. And it convicts your heart. It subdues your soul and enables the spirit of Christ to run with your life. We read again in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word Logos, and the word, the Logos, was with God, the word Logos was God, and we go down to verse 14, and we read, and the word Logos became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And the ultimate expression of the Logos is our Lord and Savior, Jesus, when he walked on this earth. Everything that God wants us to know about himself, he recorded in the Grafe about His holiness, his love, his compassion, his tenderness, his grace, his mercy, the gospel, the plan of salvation, his will for us, how to live, how to tap into divine power. Everything that God wants us to know about himself is recorded in the graphe, and then the graphe was born in a manger. His name was Jesus, and that was the expression, the embodiment of his word, and that was the logos. Now... In terms of spiritual warfare, when Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he was not referring to the graphe, and he was not referring to the logos. He was referring to something else. And there's a third word from the Greek that we derive our word, word, and that word is rhema, R-H-E-M-A, rhema. Whereas the graphe are the collective writings of God. And the logos is the understanding of the graphe and the embodiment of the graphe and the expression of the graphe. And the ultimate logos is Jesus. The rhema is something entirely different. The rhema word of God are the strictest um, definition of the rhema word is the utterances. It's a word God speaks to you from his graphe as you open up the logos. It is a word God speaks to you from his written word for your, for your personal situation. That is a rhema word of God. 
Let me read that again. It's a word that God speaks to you from his written word for your personal situation. And that is the word that God used in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 through the Holy Spirit as Paul was inspired when he said, And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, the rhema of God. So the sword of the Spirit is not simply the graphe. In other words, you can have a Bible factory, and you can have 500 Bibles in your garage, and you can still have no faith. And the Word is not simply the logos. We can be Bible junkies. We can be sermon junkies. And we can hear what this preacher says about that, and what that theologian says about that, and what that commentary says about that. And we can still be defeated every single day in spiritual warfare. We have to have a grasp of the rhema God, of the rhema word, and that's a word that God speaks to you from His written word for your personal situation. Now, the master wielder of the sword of the Spirit is Jesus himself. And in Matthew chapter 5 or Luke chapter 4, we have a case study of Jesus engaged in something called spiritual warfare where he so masterfully wields the, 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 the sword of the Spirit when he's attacked by Satan. We see that he was baptized. And after the baptism, the Father said to the Son, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then we see that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. But we also know that God doesn't tempt anyone. Well, He led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. It was a divine appointment. And the reason that Jesus was given this divine appointment was, I believe, so that we could see how to wield the sword of the Spirit when we're facing discouragement, when we're facing temptations, when we're wrestling with bitterness, when we have strongholds, when we're in sin patterns... When we are in bondage, what we need to do in order to walk in encouragement and in in order to walk in freedom and in order to experience victory is to wield the sword of the Spirit as our Master demonstrated in the wilderness. So we read that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And Scripture tells us that at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. So, that's when Satan attacked Him. Now, from that, we know that Satan and his demons look for opportune times to tempt us. They look for opportune times to attack us, to attack us, to discourage us when Jesus was hungry, when he was alone, when he was lonely, when he was tired, hungry, H, alone, A, lonely, L, tired, T. Anytime you're hungry, alone, lonely, tired, it says the acronym for that is HALT. Slow down and watch out. Be on guard because you have an enemy and he's seeking to attack you, seeking to devour you. And the prime opportunity is when you're hungry or alone or lonely or tired. And that's the condition that Jesus was when he was in the wilderness and Satan attacked him. And he was trying to um, sway Jesus to disbelieve what the Father had just spoken over him or to try to convince Jesus to satisfy legitimate needs outside of his Father's instruction and will. And this was very similar to the first temptation in the garden. Satan attacked Eve's legitimate need, food, and a legitimate God-given desire, all of the fruit in the garden. He attacked a legitimate need and a legitimate desire and tried to tempt her to satisfy that need and desire outside of God's will by trying to convince her that God really doesn't care about her, that God really doesn't love her. She took the bait. She fell into temptation. It was a massive consequence for mankind. But Jesus wielded the sword of the Spirit. Satan tried to get Jesus to doubt the word that God had spoken over him, and he tried to get him to satisfy a real need, a legitimate desire outside of God's will. And Satan said to Jesus, when Jesus was hungry, alone, lonely, and tired, if you are the Son of God, cause these stones to become bread. And Jesus responded, He wielded the sword of the Spirit. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan tempted him, 
And Jesus responded, it is written. You want to know where Jesus quoted that? Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's not a flashy book of the Bible. Deuteronomy. In fact, every time Satan opens his mouth in these temptations in the wilderness, guess where Jesus quotes from? Deuteronomy. What is my point there? Well, we would think that he would quote from Psalms or Proverbs or something of that nature, but it was Deuteronomy. I mean, Daniel, Isaiah, but Deuteronomy. It's a tough book to get through. It's a, it's a, it's a laborious book in some, in some senses. It's actually very exciting once you get into it, but Deuteronomy? He could have quoted from Psalms. He could have said, it is written, wielded the sword of the Spirit from Psalms, from Proverbs, from Daniel, from Isaiah, from Ezekiel. He could have gone anywhere. But why Deuteronomy? The answer to that is why not Deuteronomy? In other words, if you're in any one place of the Word of God, you're in all of the Word of God. And sometimes we're tempted not to dive into the Bible because there's 66 books. You're like, where do I start? I mean, if I'm in Revelation, that means I'm not in Psalms. Or if I'm in Proverbs, that means I'm not in Matthew. Or if I'm in Romans, that means that that I'm not in Daniel. I mean, where, where do I start? Just start in the Word. I encourage you to start in the book of John. That's a great place. I pray the Psalms every single day. I read them and I pray the Psalms. I have a systematic structure. I'm not a slave to the structure. The structure serves me and it and, and, and increases my walk with God. And I'm led by the Spirit. Sometimes I might set my structure aside and go to other places in the Word. The point is to be in the Word of God. And if you're in the Word of God in any one place, He can speak to you. If you're in Deuteronomy, or He can speak to you the exact same Word. If you're in Revelation, He will speak to you the exact same Word. If you're in Psalms, the key is you've got to be in the Bible every single day. I remember one time I took a trip down to Galveston. I like to go to Galveston to pray, to hang out with God and catch a new vision. And I spent a whole hour, once I got there, driving back and forth on the coast, trying to decide which spot to camp out and just to hang with God. I finally just picked a spot, and I realized it doesn't really matter if I'm here or if I'm here. It's the same water. So it doesn't matter if you're in Genesis or if you're in Revelation or if you're in Psalm or if you're in Romans. The point is to be in the Word of God every single day. Why did Jesus quote from Scripture? Why not? The point is, he was in the Word, and he had the Word stored up in his heart. But you will never have a rhema word, which is a personal word for your specific situation. You will never have a rhema word to pull out and to wield if you're not simply in the grafe, studying the logos for understanding. And in that context, the Holy Spirit will give you a rhema word, and you may not even know that you have that rhema word. But when the temptation comes, when the attack comes, when the discouragement comes, you'll be able to say, it is written. And you will quote that word with authority, and you will walk in victory. So Satan came at him again. And Satan is relentless. He tried to go through the door. Jesus closed the door, so guess what? He went through the window. And this is what he does. He studies, he evaluates, he refines his attack. So he saw that Jesus quoted scripture. He saw that Jesus was spiritual. So guess what Satan did? He quoted scripture. He got spiritual. So it is with the church. If Satan couldn't beat the church, he joined the church. And then from within, he causes dissensions and divisions and false doctrines. And that's his approach his second time around attacking Jesus. And so he took Jesus to a mountain and he quoted Psalm chapter 91. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself because he will command his angels concerning you to catch you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus responded from Deuteronomy, it is written, shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And so, Satan brought Jesus to a very high mountain. And he said, look out, look at all the nations, look at the kingdoms, look at the cities. Because what Satan is really after is this. If you just kneel before me, just kneel, worship me, I'll give them to you. Notice that Jesus didn't refute Satan's authority to give him all of the nations because Satan is the prince of this heir. And so Jesus quoted, You shall worship the Lord your God alone. Away from me, Satan. And by the way, if you can live successfully without God, 
If you can live independently without God, if you're just fine without God, then you're in a serious situation. You're in stage three of temptation where you have been given everything that Satan has in this world and you're living independently of God. And that's a very serious condition. And if you're living independently of God, I would encourage you to repent and to stop bowing a knee to Satan and to surrender your life to Christ. God must like baseball because Satan attacked Jesus three times and he struck out three times. So at that point, Satan fled from him. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And if the devil is still on your back, perhaps you haven't been wielding the sword of the Spirit. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have the Word of God stored up in my heart. And I had the Word of God stored up in my heart because I opened up the grafe of God. And I study the logos of the Word to understand it and to understand uh, my relationship with the logos, the full expression of God's Word, Jesus Himself. And in that context, He stores up the Word in my heart and promises in my heart. There are often times that Satan will attack me before I get up to preach or to speak. Who are you to try to speak God's word? And if I didn't wield the the sword of the Spirit and speak a rhema word, an utterance of God for my specific situation, I would either stand in self-confidence, which would lead me down the road, road of pride, or I would fall to timidity and to fear. And so I wield the sword of the spirits, and I say, it is written, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news away from me, Satan. There was a time that the Lord very clearly led me into an evangelistic outreach, and many ministries were coming along to be part of it. We rented out a venue in downtown Fort Worth. It was an evangelistic outreach. And I was so scared to death because of just the responsibility of this thing. And I felt uh, a weight of these other ministers who were entrusting their flocks to me for this outreach to my leadership and my leading of the spirits. And I remember wishing that, that, that a tornado would hit the venue and I would, be, I would be off the hook. And I just remember thinking, how do I get myself into these situations? We always have to live like that. How do I get myself into these situations? Well, I'm following Christ. If we don't live like that, then we'll shrink back and our faith will wither up. And I remember I was praying about maybe about a week before the event. Or maybe I think it was just a few nights before the event. I remember I was fasting and I was praying and I was crying my eyes out to God. And at that moment, he gave me a rhema word. A rhema word that I had in my heart, stored up, because every day I was opening the grafe to understand the logos, and I didn't know I had the rhema word, but it was stored up in my heart, and then in that moment, the Holy Spirit was so good to me. He gave me a rhema word coupled with an image in my heart. The image was a sea of people, shoulder to shoulder, from the very back to the very front, um, receiving the gospel, and the rhema word was, be strong and courageous, For the battle is mine, not yours. And the Lord gave me so much boldness, and I believe that I overcame in that spiritual warfare when I was being attacked with fear and timidity. And I remember when it was time to to, to stand up and share the gospel, I stood up, and as soon as I looked up, it was that very image that I saw in my heart. And I had so much boldness, and Christ was so glorified. I could go on and on. Um... There was a time I was getting ready to, to, to grow weary in ministry and give out, and the Lord gave me a rhema word, Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good. In due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. There was a time, another time, I was getting ready, growing weary and getting ready to give up, and the Lord gave me another rhema word, 1 Peter 4, 9, the end of all things is near, therefore, each of you should use whatever he has gift to serve others. And my very next thought was, but I don't have the capacity, I don't have the strength. The rhema word came right after that. If anyone speaks, Let him do it as one speaking the words of God. If anyone serves, let him do it in the strength that God provides. From 1 Peter chapter 4. On and on and on. Any temptation that I have ever been victorious in. 
Any attack that I have ever been victorious in was because of a rhema word that was stored up because I was consistent every single day of my life to open up the grothe, to understand the logos. And from that, the Holy Spirit gave me a rhema word when I most needed it. And if you're not opening the grothe to understand the logos, then when you need it most, you're not going to have the rhema word and you're not going to stand and you're going to grow weary and you're going to give up. You've got to be in the Word every single day. We have to get to a point where we wield the sword of the Spirit and we follow the example of Jesus and begin declaring into our oppression, we begin declaring into our temptations, we begin declaring into our battles. It is written. And we speak a rhema word. Now, if the Logos himself, Christ, the expression of the grafe, didn't wing it and think, well, I think, and well, I was told, and well, I believe, but he resorted to scriptures and said and said only, it is written, how much more so do we have to store up the grafe, the logos, so that we'll have a rhema in due season. We've got to be in the word every day. How many of you guys love peanut butter sandwiches? Raise your hand. <laughs> I like them too, especially with a glass of cold milk. Some of you might like a restaurant like Joe T's or uh, Olive Garden or Americado. You guys should go there after lunch. <laughs> um, incredible food, right? So there's sometimes that, that we eat, and it's just like a peanut butter sandwich moment. There's sometimes that we eat, and it's like your very favorite restaurant moments. Say Joe T's. Now, you don't eat at Joe T's every single day. You might eat peanut butter sandwiches a little more than you eat at Joe T's. But because every time you eat is not a Joe T's moment, does that mean that you just eat peanut, you, 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 you don't eat the peanut butter? No, you eat the peanut butter sandwiches, and then every now and then you get to eat Joe T's. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this. Every time we open up the Bible, it might not be a Joe T's moment. It might be a peanut butter sandwich moment. But we still have to be in the Word. Because it's within the, it's within the context of peanut butter sandwich moments that when we least expect it, we are given a Joe T's moment. And if you're never in the Bible every single day, if you're not in the Bible every single day, strengthening your spirit, even though it may just seem like a peanut butter sandwich moment, then you're not going to have the rhema moment. In other words, we have to discipline ourselves to be in the Word every single day, and as a result of that, God will reward us greatly with promises when we need it most. So, how do we get into the Word in order to experience a rhema word for, for in our due season? One, we have to be consistent. Seek God through His Word daily. Does anybody here, trivia question, does anybody here know what the longest chapter in the Bible is? Good job, guys. Good job. It's Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119, how many verses does it have? Do you guys know that? I don't either. I'll look. Psalm chapter 119 has exactly 176 verses. That's a long chapter. In my Bible, and I have a big Bible here, that's one, two, that's one, front and back, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's nine pages. 176 verses, that's nine pages. That's a long chapter. And on top of that, it's right in the middle of the Bible. God is emphasizing something here. Because in every single one of these 176 verses, the word is mentioned. Different words are used for words. It's precepts, statutes, commands, ordinances, decrees, the law, the word. But in all of these 176 verses, the word is mentioned. And there's incredible promises associated with the word. For example... Psalm chapter 119, verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. How do we seek? Through the word. Let me not wander from your commandments. We have to be consistent in the Bible every single day. Be consistent. You've got to have your time. How many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. Oh, 
wow, more than I thought. How many of you are night owls? Raise your hand. I'll put my hand up with those guys. Whether you're a morning bird or whether you're a night owl, the point is you've got to be in the Word every single day. And I found that having a consistent time in the Word helps me to be in the Word every single day. And we open it up. You might read from Psalms. You might read from the book of John. Pick up with where you left off. Pray the Psalms as if it's your prayers back to God. Personalize them. Stand upon the promises. But the key is you've got to be consistent. Secondly, you've got to be passionate. Read the Word attentively. Not just intellectually or theologically, but you got to read the word attentively. Do you recall Jesus told the, the Logos himself, the expression of the graphe that the Pharisees had studied since they were children and they had it memorized, didn't recognize the graphe when the Logos, the expression of the graphe was standing right in front of them. And he would speak and they didn't recognize his authority. And here's what he said to them. You have ears to hear. But you don't hear. In other words, we can read the Bible, but we can kind of coast in autopilot because we're reading it theologically, we're reading it intellectually, but we're not reading it attentively. And this is how we read the Scripture with passion. We're attentive. Psalm chapter 119, verse 16. I will delight. You see, it goes more than just reading it. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. How do you know if you're reading the Bible for the sake of religion or you're reading it for the sake of relationship? If you're reading for the sake of obligation or you're reading for the sake of intimacy. When you break through so that your heart is delighting in what you're reading, you're not reading it simply intellectually or theologically. You're finally reading it attentively. You have ears and you are hearing. Third, when you read the Bible, read it and be Resonant. That's an awesome word, resonant. It means that the words jump off of the pages and they resonate, they echo in your heart. And we read the word resonantly by treasuring the words in our heart personally. In other words, we're looking for how this applies to me. We're looking for a prayer that I can pray. When I read the word resonantly and my heart's delighting in the Lord, I'm looking for a a command to obey. I'm looking for an example to follow. I'm looking for a promise to believe. I'm looking for an error to avoid. And I read the word resonantly and I'm asking myself, how can I apply this to my life personally? I'm not just opening up the grafe and I'm not just gaining understanding in the logos. I am desperate for a rhema word to apply, to believe, to pray, to stand upon in my daily situation. Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart. Did you see that? They didn't just open up the grafe or gain understanding into the logos, but they now have an arsenal of the rhema word. I have stored up the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Bible is an armory full of powerful weapons. The Bible is a laboratory of infallible medicines. The Bible is a mine full of exhaustless Resources for our daily life. The Bible is a guidebook for every single crossroad that we may face. The Bible is a chart for every sea that we have to charter. The Bible is medicine and it's a balm for every sickness and for every wound. The Bible is an armory filled with swords of the Spirit. But in order to store up the swords of the Spirit, we have to open the grafe every single day. Gain understanding in the Logos. And with a sense of desperation, with utter dependence, pray and be attentive for rhema words. And perhaps it was just a peanut butter sandwich, or so it seemed. When you most need it, the Holy Spirit will bring that rhema word up, and it will be on the tip of your tongue. And then you can speak it into your situation. Speak it against your temptations. Speak it against Satan. Speak that rhema word against your sin patterns. Speak it against your addiction. Speak it against your bondage. Speak it against your fear and gain victory. Fourth, be valiant. You must speak a rhema word into your situation boldly. Psalm 119 verse 13. With my lips I declare all the truths of your mouth. 
Jesus wielded the sword of the Spirit by declaring the sword of the Spirit. He declared, it is written, and spoke an utterance, a rhema word of God. Can we do any less for our victory? Can we do any less to overcome? The psalmist of 119, Psalm 119 says, I open my mouth daily and watch this passion. Watch this sense of desperation. I open my mouth daily and pant, longing for your commands. That's beyond just an intellectual or theological understanding of the logos. That's a desperation for a rhema word of God. And we're in a very real spiritual battle. This is how we have to read of the word. I don't care if you're in Deuteronomy. I don't care if you're in Revelation. I don't care if you're in John. But you've got to be in the word every single day in order to live victoriously, in order to live successfully, in order to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. If you recall, Jesus talked about a man who was getting severely defeated in spiritual warfare. He was filled with a demon. And so the demon was cast out. And the demon, Jesus said, went into arid places. And in the meantime, the man, he got his life together. I mean, he cleaned his life up. He started doing all the right things. Well, the demon didn't find anywhere to land, so he rounds up seven demon buddies, and he comes back to that man, and they see this man's inner house cleaned up. But guess what? It was empty. So they overtook him, and his latter condition was worse than the first. The point being is that God didn't just save us from sin. He saved us for righteousness. We weren't just saved from religion. We were saved for a relationship. God never just saves us or delivers us from something. He always saves us and delivers us for something. The children of Israel were delivered from Egypt for the promised land. And if we don't enter into what we were saved for, and if we don't enter into what we are delivered for, then we'll regress back into what we were saved from and what we were delivered from. We were saved from religion. We were saved for relationship. And this thing called Christianity and being victorious and following Christ and being more than an overcomer and being the light of the world and actually gaining ground in our culture and our community has so much more to do with simply doing things and trying to clean up our life morally. We have to fill up our heart. We have to fill up our mind with the logos of God's word so that we have the rhema so that we can stand in the evil day. But it starts with a determination. It starts with a decision. It, it starts with a discipline to be in the Word every single day. And if you've ever been out of shape, like myself, <laughs> and then January comes around and you make a New Year's resolution, and you realize it takes all the discipline that you can muster up to go into the gym, but guess what? About two weeks of being, into the, being in the gym, that discipline turns into desire. And then if you do that for a few months, that desire turns into delight. And if you continue to be consistent, that delight turns into addiction. And so it is with the Word of God. You have to discipline yourself to open the Word and to read it with passion, to open your mouth and pant, longing for His commands. You must discipline yourself to do that every day. And if you do that consistently with that kind of heart, that discipline will turn in to delight. And that delight will turn in to an addiction. And you will become a Christ addict. Hungering for the bread of life. Desperate for and dependent upon the living water. And your heart and mind will be so filled with the word of God that Christ will be shooting through your countenance and you'll be like Stephen, the church's first martyr. They will look at you and they won't see you. They'll see the face of an angel because the Spirit of Christ is shining through you. And you'll be able to speak life and light into the darkness and into despair. And you'll be an overcomer, but not until you develop the discipline of the Word And that discipline turns into delight, and that delight turns into desire, and that desire turns into an addiction. Let it start today. 
And let it continue tomorrow. I opened with the analogy of somebody who was so weary, but they had, had not been eating. And then they were sick because they were eating of junk. So let's repent of the junk, spiritually speaking, and let's resolve to feasting our heart and mind upon the Word of God. Would you stand with me, please? If you, with your heads bowed, how many of you think, you know what? I think perhaps I'm weary because I haven't been feasting upon the Word of God, and I think I'm becoming, succumbing to spiritual attack and spiritual temptation because I haven't been wielding the sword of the Spirit. Your head's bowed. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay. Thank you. And I wonder if some of you might say, you know what? I, I got out of the habit of the Word of God every single day. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay. This is hope. This is encouraging. This is exciting because we know where to start. Right here. A, a recommitment to being in the Word of God. It isn't so easy to become addicted to the things of this world, whether it's TV, our news programs, social media, uh, news feeds, whatever it is. What are you addicted to? It's that rotten meat that's making your faith sick. Let's repent of it and let's resolve to be in the Word of God and to be committed to the Word of God every single day. So with that, I'm just going to pray for you, and we're going to respond with worship. The altars are open. Perhaps you need to come and ask for the Holy Spirit's strength to be in the Word of God every single day and to develop a fresh addiction for the Word of God and His promises. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that we would be people of the book. We would be desperate, Lord, for Your words. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119, that every day we would open our mouths and pant, longing for Your commands. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that wouldn't simply have a grafe on our coffee table. And Lord, that we would not simply be a people who have an understanding with the Logos or even a relationship with the Logos, but that we would be a people who have stored up the rhema word of God for specific times, for specific assignments, to stand against specific attacks, Lord, when they may come against us. That we would always be so filled with the word that we can wield the rhema word of God. We pray that we would be this follower of Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would seek your word with that kind of desperation. To have a personal word for our specific situation. Now, with that, I just want to invite you to respond and commit to being a person of the word every single day. So, the altars are open and let's respond to worship with worship.